0: So we have been talking about the fruits of the spirits, and we have been focused on Galatians chapter, chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, where uh, Paul speaks to the Galatians about what the fruits of the spirit looks like. So uh, today we're going to focus on self-control. How many people are familiar with this lovely word, self-control? Yes. 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 How many of us would say that is not our strong suit at times? Yeah, it's, it's okay. You can be honest here. We're in church. There's no better place to be honest than in church. But it's true. There are times in life where sometimes there's some situation where it's, where it's easy, and then there's some situation where self-control just goes out the window. And depending on your, what you're dealing with, you might have an easier time with Showing a level of self-control than you might at other times. Now, we're going to look at three different uh, passages. Two of them are going to be in the Old Testament, and one is going to be in the New Testament. And I want to read to you what, it, what the Bible talks about when it talks about uh, this word self-control. Or in the New King James Version, it uses the word uh, temperance. So, the word self-control, the original word, it says it translates to the virtue of one who masters his desires and passion. For example, their sensual appetite. The word is ekritia. Now, when I first started looking at these words and started looking at the fruits of the spirits and trying to decide the order and what to do, which to do next, you know, Um, I had a hard time figuring out what the order should be because when you read, going back to that, if you go back to that uh, Galatians chapter 5 for me, uh, when you read it, you know, he starts with 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 the really exciting ones, you know, love, joy, peace, and then you get into patience. He throws that one in between, you know, those two, and then he goes into kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, he puts in there as the last one. And when you look at that word self-control, when, you think about our, when we think about our lives, when we think about situations in our lives where we can look back and say, man, I should have had more control in that situation. Or I should have shown more control of myself when I was dealing with whatever it is or I was uh, interacting with this person or when I was uh, handling whatever that situation might be. But the truth of the matter is we all need or could use a little bit more in terms of learning how to show control over our passions and our desires. So we're going to be in the Old Testament first, and then we're going to stay there for a little bit, and then we're going to jump to the New Testament. We're going to be looking at the story of uh, <clears throat> David and Bathsheba. Now, when it talks about self-control or temperance, usually it's referring to, uh, when it talks about desires, it's referring to desires like lust and desires of the flesh and things like that. And so this first one, if you're familiar with the story of David and Bathsheba, then you know where the story is going. You know what happens. And if you're not, then we're gonna, I'm going to read it starting... Uh, it's Second Samuel chapter 11. I'm just going to read verse 1 through 5. It says, In the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men in the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbath, or Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The men said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him. He slept with her. Now, she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness. Then she went back home, and the woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. Now, if you read the rest of that, it goes even further, because not only once he finds out that she's pregnant, he tries to get her husband to go home and basically lay with her so that they could say that it's his baby. It's, it's a whole mess. When, and so basically what happens is they got, he got the husband, They got drunk, and he was supposed to go home. Well, he didn't go home. Instead, they found him laying at the gate. So what David ended up doing is having him sent to the battlefield, and then he basically plotted his death. He said, when you go to charge, you, everybody basically hold back and let him be the first one that goes forward so that he will be would be killed. And that's what happens. And so now, not only has he given into to the desires of his, of his lust and his flesh, but then he goes and takes it so much further by to try to cover it up. He has somebody killed in response to trying to cover it up. And so, in the next chapter, the prophet Nathan comes and basically speaks to David. He gives him uh, really uh, kind of like a parable basically to explain what's going on he tells him you know there's this man that has one sheep and another that has plenty and the one that has plenty took basically the one that the one, the man that uh, the one sheep that the man had and david immediately responded you know and actually nathan basically asked what should be done to that person and david responded basically like with a very harsh sentence And he ended up being punished for his action because Nathan basically tells him that was you, essentially. And so he ended up... So then God gave him the options, three options of how he could be punished. And rather than choosing one, he told God to basically do whatever God sees fit as punishment. And he ended up losing his son that was the first son before Solomon was born. So, you know... The Bible is full of drama and full of different things. You know, you don't really need some of these shows that you see on TV to find drama and all these things. You just gotta read what's in the Bible. But the reality of it is he didn't need another wife. He already had several wives. So it's But in that moment he saw And then he reacted on what he saw. And he goes further, further until he gave in to what his flesh desired. See, that's him showing a lack of self-control. Because, yes, he saw, but he didn't have to. He didn't. There was no reason for him to need to know who that was. There was no reason for him to stay up there and try to get more information. All of this just led him further and further down this path of losing self-control. Now, it's interesting, too, because David, as a king, when we read about him, he was one that was always on the battlefield. He was one that was always charging ahead and leading his men, but this time he chose not to go into the battlefield. Instead, by staying, what he found himself doing is committing a sin against what God has basically decreed in terms of sanctity of marriage. See, because not only did he cause her to cheat, but he also got in between somebody else's marriage. See, so because uh, the scripture tells us what God has. Put together, let no man separate. So, in other words, what he did was he really for, looked over everything that God had designed for what marriage should be, and he intersected himself to be in separate and cause a separation of a unity between two people. The next story is found in Genesis chapter 39, and it's the story of Joseph. Now, his is slightly different than David's. And it's a, it's a similar story, but there's some difference. Now, for him, he was sold as a slave to Egypt. And that's, you know, his own brothers sold him off as slaves. And he ended up working for, And God, it says that God's favor was on his life, and he ended up working for a man named Potiphar. And while he worked there, it says that God's favor and blessings were on, on everything that was in that household, so much so that the owner of the house put David in charge of everything Now usually, when you read this story that I 'm about to read, we focus on on David or i 'm sorry on Joseph in his experience. but I want to look at both both sides of this because the same way we looked at what David did in this story, it kind of reminds us that it is not just men that deals with these things. See, we hear about, we read it from the perspective of what they, what Joseph is experiencing, but at the same time, this woman was also trying to tempt him to cause, to basically cheat with her. Now, in our society today, people might use lots of excuses and tell you, well, you know, she would give you all sorts of reason why he should have or why he could have. But Joseph looks at her and says, listen, I have basically have no desire to sin against God. What you're asking, what you're trying to do is going to basically cause me to sin against God. Not necessarily against people because Marriage was ordained by God. So by him, if he had given in and done exactly what she was trying to get him to do, he just like David would have gotten in between what God had ordained to be a unity between two people. So the, so in this instance, we see Joseph showing self-control. Now, Unfortunately for him, even though he did the right thing, you know, Potiphar chose to believe his wife was telling the truth about Joseph when she lied and said he tried to sleep with her, and he ran off when, he, when she screamed. Now, if you put yourself in his shoes, you, you're thinking, man, I've been, I'm doing everything right. I don't deserve this treatment. I don't deserve to be put in prison for doing what's right for standing on what I know that God, what God has shown me to be true and what God tells me is the truth. But yet that's what happened by him standing up and essentially showing self-control of he was put in jail because the man whose household he was in charge of believed her over him. Now you can't really fault him for that because that's his wife. Very few people would choose to believe a stranger, in this case a slave, over the person that you've committed to to spend the rest of your life. And so we might look at it and go, well, you know, we can throw shades at him and say all these things. But the truth of the matter is what he was doing, he wasn't in the wrong in choosing to believe that his wife was telling the truth. It's just that in this instance, she wasn't and somebody got hurt because of it. He was put in jail, and he spent a couple years in jail until he was, again, brought out of jail to help Pharaoh realize what his dream meant, and then he ended up being the second in command. So God ended up using all these things that would have gotten in the way of him being able to get to where he wanted them to be to still get him what he needed to be. See, the reminder in all this is that it is important for us to make sure that we always do what's right. Not in the eyes of people, but in the eyes of God. Because if we base our action based off of what every single person thinks, you are going to drive yourself crazy, and you'll, nobody will ever be happy with whatever you do. Because if we choose to do certain things because we want to make people happy, then what you do is you might end up compromising yourself just because you want to please people. But when you stand with God and you choose to do what He tells you to, whether people accept it or not, then what you're saying is, I don't care what other people think, I care about what God thinks. At the end of the day, whether they like me or not, doesn't matter because the one whose opinion matters the most to me is God the Father. He's the one who's given us the ability to be able to to show these fruits. He's the one who's poured his spirit into us so that we would see things the way he sees them. So that we would love people the way he loves them. So that we would show these fruits in a way that pleases him, not people. It's just that people get to rip the benefit of what God has placed inside us. The love that he's filled us, with people get to rip that benefit because we get to show them what the love of Christ through us looks like. The self control or as it's described the control of who masters our own desires and passion. Now, it doesn't, it's not always sexual desires. There's a lot of things that we want in life. And sometimes those things, they are what dictate whether we're going to, you know, they dictate our life sometimes. They kind of take control of our lives. Because we go so hard to try to get whatever it is that we lose sight of God in the process. See, self-control can look different for everyone. Self-control can be just about really how you handle yourself in the situation. It can be an interaction with somebody where somebody makes you so upset that you just want to, you know, with lack of a better term, throw hands. That's the nicest way I can put it, you know. You want to throw hands with them. And you know what? There are times... We're walking away while it's hard does help, but then there are people that are just relentless. And then you, when you find yourself in situations like that, then you're like, well, what do I do? God, you told me to, I'm, I'm showing self-control, I'm not allowing them to get to me, but they're they this close to pushing that final button. So what do you do when it gets so when it gets to that point where you you just people are just relentlessly trying to get on your nerve, trying to get you to do something out of character, trying so hard to get you to really or maybe they've seen a change in your character, but they know who you used to be, and they're trying to get you to go back to that to that person. See if you have people like that in your life that instead of encouraging you to be better, to continue to improve, and they're trying to get you to go back to who you used to be, then maybe you don't need those kind of influences in your life. Because those people are not trying to see you improve. They're trying to see you stay as you were. Because they're not looking for, you know, what you could become, because that's what God does. He sees what you used to be, and He sees who you could be. And the steps you take in between to get there. See, that's when things like setting boundaries with people comes in, because then you have to go, man. We can't keep, you know, conversating. We can't keep being friends if that's the way you're gonna act around me. If that's the way you're gonna treat me, it's a matter of saying, and that's what it means when you start practicing self-control. It requires self-discipline, because you have to be consistent in your decisions. If you say, I'm going to be better, I'm not going to let this get to me, or I'm not going to react in anger in certain ways, then what are you going to do to not allow yourself to react in those, in those ways? If you say, you know, I'm not going to, let's take sexual immorality for, for one. If you say you're not going to continue to go down that path, then what are you going to do to step away from that? Sometimes it means not watching things that you used to watch. Sometimes it means that you, even no matter how great of a show it might have been, if there are things in it that you know will cause you to wonder or will cause you to do anything of the sort, you say, I'm not going to watch that anymore. And you start to make changes that helps you get better. You surround yourself with people that help you to improve. In the book of Matthew, which is the final one that we're going to look at, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. This is right after Jesus had been baptized by John the Baptist. And it says, then he was led to the wilderness to be tempted. Now, It's pretty straightforward. It didn't say he was led to to the wilderness and then he was tempted. It says he was led there to be tempted. And so when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, men should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, how many people here have ever done a fast? Have you ever done it where you've gone a few days without eating? Now, you know after you've done a fast where you've not eaten anything for a couple days, you're hungry. And you know, you start, I, personally, I, will, I start looking for stuff to eat. Because my fast is over, that means I can start eating. But here we have the devil coming in after Jesus has just finished the fast, knowing what he wants, what he's feeling in that moment, that he desires food. Because he's gone 40 days without eating. And he tempts him with what he needs to be filled with. See, he knew what Jesus might be wanting in that moment because he, you know, any of us would be feeling the same way. We'd be hungry. So he comes in and basically tells him, hey, listen, if you're really who you say you are, why don't you just turn these stones to something you can eat? You know, why wait to go back to town? Just make something right now to prove who you are Jesus didn't have to prove anything to him. And so he reminds him that, while yes, we need food, but we also need to be fed spiritually. It is important that we spend time in the Word so that we know the Word. Because one of the things that the devil does in this, he, he takes the Word and he kind of twists it to his own means. So why didn't he just stop after, you know, tempting him to fill him up with food? Because, I mean, at that point, if you, get a, if, some, if you tempt him with food and he says, that's okay, I'm good, you would think he would move away. I believe the reason is because as humans, our desire to be filled is not always by just Food. Sometimes we, we fill ourselves up with different things. Sometimes it maybe the things that we are dealing with not necessarily hunger, but insecurities. Sometimes the things that we're dealing with is not necessarily that we need to be filled with food because we find different ways to fill ourselves up when we don't want to deal with our problems. And so we fill ourselves up with different things to try to really take the pain away so that we don't have to think about it, so that we don't have to process it. Or, But the thing we have to remember about fasting is that it's supposed to draw us closer to God. And that in itself is a whole other message so we're not going to go too deep into that. But the important thing about fasting is that it's supposed to draw you closer to God. That's what it's supposed to be. You spend that time not just, you know, Not eating and just drinking liquids, but you spend that time also with God as you're doing it. You spend that time reading your Bible, worshiping, and it kind of brings you back to Him. And you can do it different ways. There's not one way to do fasting. And it's it's really giving up something, in this case, something that you desire consistently and replacing it with with a deeper relationship with God. Sometimes the the thing that we have to take a break from can be our jobs. Sometimes it's people. See when I uh left Zephyr Hills not really knowing where we would go where what the next step was one of the, I was trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do and and so God basically told me to to fast. Now and I'm like, well, how? because, you know, when you start, when you're going to do a fast, you want to know how long you want to do it for. So I asked him, well, how long is this fast supposed to be? And he took me to this, actually, this exact passage. Now, I didn't, you know, go 40 days with zero food, so I kind of adjusted it. But I spent that time reading my Bible I spent that time connecting with God, and I can tell you, after those forty days were over, I felt refreshed, renewed. And the you know, when I started it, I was at a point where I was just exhausted, exhausted from uh, from just serving, from doing ministry, and holding multiple titles, and doing a whole bunch of stuff in between. And so when I took that time where I just reconnected with God, not only did it help me refresh, but it kind of renewed my passion for doing what I do now. It gave it a new new perspective. It kind of helped me to re-look at the things that God has done in my life, the way he brought me to, to as far as I was, to what he might have next. Because all of a sudden, I didn't feel as exhausted anymore. I didn't feel like I, you know, I was going to just crash and burn. I felt like I could keep going. I could continue to serve. I could continue to dedicate myself to the calling of his ministry. And one of the things that God had to really do for me is remove me from where I was so that I could relearn to reconnect with him in a new way. Because what can happen, even as leaders and pastors, is that you can get so attached to your role that sometimes it becomes just another thing. I was leading, I was doing worship, and I loved doing worship, but there were certain points where it just felt like we were going through the motion because I felt like I was going and giving, but the response wasn't wasn't there. And there were times where I would I would speak and it just didn't feel like it was going anywhere or not people weren't really responding and so there were those points were kind of you know could be discouraging at times and so god had to kind of remind me that he's the one first of all that called me and second of all that i don't do what i do for the people Yes, he's called me to lead people, but at the end of the day, the one that I answer to is him. He's the one that's going to ask me if I did well at, the, at where he placed me. If I served them wholeheartedly, if I gave my everything to see people's lives be transformed. He's the one that I have to respond and answer to. So, if you ever get a chance to take time to just reconnect with God, I would encourage you to do that because I think it's very important for all of us to do that. Where we take times, even if it's on, the, even if it's just a weekend, where you just stop whatever your week, what you just leave what you've done throughout the week there, and just focus. Whether it be with, you focus first on God, then you focus on your family and spend that time together. It's why you won't find me here at the church on Mondays except for in the evening for the youth group because from Sunday evening until a certain point on Monday, that's my, I start a Sabbath and I stay home and I rest and that's, that's that and I spend it with my family. I take, if I, I take Karis to school or sometimes uh, Car- Holly will take her to school and so I can lay, so I can rest Because we all need rest. So the next thing that the devil tempts Jesus with is this. If you're the son of God, then throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So he goes from trying to get Jesus to fill his flesh to, okay, well, so if you're not going to do that. Well, how about if you just put yourself in a position where you have to make God essentially follow through on his promise of protection? How about you just throw yourself down from here and, you know, he's not going to let you fall all the way down. He's going to catch you before you make it to the ground. He's going to make sure that your foot doesn't even touch the stones down there. How many of us can look and say that we've all at one point in our lives fallen and made it all the way to the ground? To where we got to the point where we're like, Lord, where were you? I know you can see me. I know what you've promised me. But Jesus is reminding us that it's not that God doesn't see us, but the things that we go through, they grow us. Even if we go all the way down, what matters is that we don't stay all the way down, but we stand back up on the promises of God. We stand back up on His Word because that's what we know we can rely on, that no matter how far down we might be, He will be there to raise us back up again. See, that's a promise. And that's what He reminds us and reminds the devil is that we don't tempt God to try to make him do what we want him to do. He's not our puppet. It doesn't work that way. If it worked that way, I mean, let's be honest, that portion of our land that's a reserve land would have been gone by now. Because I've been praying that we can do something about that because we can't do anything about it. Because there's lots of things that we pray for, man, that we wish God would do something about. And if he worked on our timelines then all those things that we really desire would be done and we'd be so excited and happy. But at the same time, after a while where you just constantly get what you want instead of what you need, you kind of get tired of it. Because it comes too easy. As much as we like getting what we want, at certain points in our lives we realize, man, it's too simple. It's too easy. The next thing that he does, he took him to an extremely high mountain. And he shows him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. So he goes from trying to get Jesus to do something for his flesh to trying to tempt God then now he's like, okay, well, how about this? I'll give you whatever you want. See, all these things that you see, uh, the cars, the, I mean, they didn't have cars like we do or anything like that at, this, at that point. But for us, that's what it would be. Man, You can have this vehicle. You can have all the power you need. You can have this and you can have that. All you have to do is choose to follow and worship him. Instead of God, when we sometimes we, we you might you might hear people say things like you know this person sold their soul, but God allows us to have success, both Christians and non-Christian. What we do with our success matters. See, what the devil forgot is that he had no real authority over the things of this world because God had already given Jesus power and authority over everything. And we read that at the, end, at the end of Matthew where he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. And then he gave us a charge to go and make disciples of all nations. So the power that he thought he had really wasn't there. He doesn't have as much control as he thinks he does over our lives. See, God has given us the ability to overcome him. He's given us the power and the authority to speak his word, to speak his name, and simply say, just like Jesus did, away from me, Satan. Just those simple words hold so much power. Sometimes when we're going through things and we, we're like, man, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to go, what to do about this. And Jesus remind, has simply reminded us, hey, I've already given you everything you need to overcome. I've made it possible. I lived out the example of what it looks like to overcome these things. It just seems impossible now, but with Christ none of it is impossible. See, that's Again, a promise that he gives us. That's his word, keeping his word that no matter what it is that seems impossible in this life, he has authority over it all. So to be able to gain self-control and get to a point where you are able to have restraint over these things that you maybe don't have now, it's not impossible. You just have to trust that God will lead you and guide you. And yes, you'll make mistakes. Yes, you will fall short short every once in a while. But turn back to Him and let Him lead you and guide you. See, that's why He gave us the Spirit to be our guide. To be the one that directs us when we start going off path and He tells us, hey, You're going a little bit off there. Let's get back on the straight and narrow. When we're going through things and we just need those simple reminders of God's love, His Holy Spirit reminds us of what His love has done for us. When you need joy, patience, kindness, He reminds us or He gives us opportunities to practice these things. So you won't get better at any of these fruits, if you don't nurture them, if you don't grow them, if you're happy and content with the level of self-control that you have now and never try to increase it or improve it, then you're going to stay where you are. But if you will put to work, if you'll nurture these fruits, if you'll do whatever he asks you to nurture them, to grow them, so that in turn you can help somebody else grow and nurture their fruits. That's when you start to see the fruits giving fruits and reproducing. All these, you can think of them as little seeds that have been planted inside of us. that need watered. They need sunlight. And I forgot what the third thing is that they need. I think oxygen is the next one. Those are the three main ones. It took me a second. I don't grow plants, so (laughs) those are the only three things I know. (laughs) Thank you. See? That's why why you guys guys are there. See that? I appreciate that. But all, so so picture that in ourselves. What do we do to grow these fruits? Well, We've got to make sure we're, we're reading our Bible so we know the word. But then when we go out into the world, we have to put what we're learning to practice in every situation that calls for it. So now we're, putting it, we're not just putting it to practice, but we're nurturing and growing in, the give, in these fruits. And then it breathes life into somebody else when you rep- reproduce that fruit and you help somebody else along so that they can grow in their fruit as well. I want to close out with this scripture. I don't remember if I put it in there. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 15. Okay. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Now, he's not saying that people are not going to despise you or dislike you. That's far from what he's saying. But he wants to, he's reminding us that it's important that we stay true to our characters. To be true to the characters that we develop through the Father. See, we ha- the grace of God has offered us salvation to everyone. But not everyone will accept it. So those of us that have accepted accepted it, His grace teaches us how to look at our passions, our desires, the things of this world versus the things of God and say, I don't want any part of what this world has to offer because it goes against what God has for me. See, that's the difference and that's why it's important to recognize the worldly passion that tries to Drive us away from God and the passion that leads us closer to Him. See, desire and passion, those two are not a bad, they're not bad things. It's when it's unrestrained and driven by worldly desires it becomes a problem. When it's driven by your desire to to draw closer to God, to love Him more, to experience Him more, to serve Him more, then it takes on a different look. Whereas when it's driven by the world, you want to be just like everybody else. You follow the crowd. You live in a way that nobody can tell the difference between you when you say you're a Christian and those that are not Christians. So what drives you? What are the passions and desires that you have in your life that maybe have taken you away from where God wants you to be? And how can you give that back to Him so that He can change it and bring you closer to Him? My challenge for you this week is that you would look for ways to practice self-control. And honestly, if we're being honest with ourselves, you probably don't have to look for ways to practice self-control. It'll probably find you. So maybe my challenge should be make sure you use a level of self-control that makes God proud when it does come and find you because it will. But you have to remember this, that you're not doing it for the people but you're doing it because you want to please God. And that is what matters. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for everything you've done for us, Lord, for the way you continue to lead us, to guide us, for how you are continuously at work in our lives. God, we pray that when the opportunities come where we need to put these fruits to practice where we need to put them to work, Lord, that we would not hesitate, but that we would trust that you've given us what we need for these moments, for these situations, to be able to walk forward and interact in these situations, to be able to uh, handle ourselves in moments where it might seem impossible. And God, if we need an increase, God, would you increase in us whatever areas of our fruits that needs increased? If it be patience, Lord, we pray that you would increase it within us so that we can show it to people. If it is goodness, then we pray that you would increase it in us. If it is kindness, we ask that you would increase it within us so that we can in turn show it to others. Thank you, Lord, that you love us so that you would send your Son to die for us on the cross so that we could experience your grace and your salvation. And God, I want to pray for anyone that don't really have a relationship with you this morning. Those that might be curious, might be seeking, and might be wondering and want to know more. We pray that You would give them a desire and a passion to continue to pursue you until they found you and you found them and it begins to change their lives forever. And God, we pray all this, believing that you are going to do just that, Lord, that your words will not return void. In the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, I pray. Amen.